Welcome to the Debbie Debate. All right, boys, are we ready to debate? Bruni, are you ready to go head to head with me? I am. Got to get my popcorn out here. Hold on, Alex. So bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. I'm Felix Sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. His first to goal. Ball spotted just inside the 10. Algerian Wilson faked it to him and keeps it. Zach Wilson, the speed, and he dives for the end zone. Touchdown. That's awesome, Nate. Gibbs, who is probably going to be the best pass catcher out of the three. Now. He's going to get after it again. And look at the speed and the spark and the score from Gibbs. Just what Georgia Tech needed. That's Matt Bruning. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I waxed poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this guy is Fields on the carry. Watch out. Justin Fields. Hello, Columbus. 51 yards. Austin, you tweeted something, bro. You tweeted your running back ranking. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Ohio State fan talking there. Oh, shit. That is why you come to the Debbie debate. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreit. We ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 Eastern time, the only time zone with working electricity. That means it's time for the Debbie debate brought to you by CampusScan.com. That's Matt Bruning. That's Austin Nace. Felix Sharp. On a lauded version of tonight's show, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of things. We're going to start with uh, week one on the way and week zero of college football is in the books. Matt Bruning, what did you learn from this past weekend? Well, I don't think there's much to take away player-wise from week zero. Uh, We had a couple big performances, but... uh, something we've talked about on here before. You really don't want to overreact to one week. So the biggest thing I took away is all the home teams won this past weekend. And I wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that a lot of these teams didn't play in front of fans last year. We did not get to see any of these guys go into hostile environments. There was, I think SEC had some stadiums, but they were about half full most of the time, 30%. A lot of these teams did not go into hostile environments. Some of these guys' first time starting quarterbacks, which makes me a little bit worried for some of these uh, teams that will be going on the road here. Weeks one, week two, week three into hostile environments, just using Ohio State as an example. Going into Minnesota, packed house tomorrow night. C.J. Stroud never actually throwing a pass in in a uh, college game. Multiple other teams doing that this weekend. I think we could see a lot more upsets in week one than we have in the past couple years. The, the flip side of that, Matt, and I just want to toss this back to you, there are a lot more teams with like fifth and sixth year seniors on it. You think that's going to offset it sure. at all? I mean, th- there is a lot. I know like the big schools yeah. that just crank out top talent, they all, you know, Bama lost some guys, Clemson lost some guys, Ohio State. But like a lot of the other teams that, you know, aren't factories for the NFL, they brought everybody back. Well, yeah. So. I mean, again, uh, Illinois did that. I think we talked about it on the on the tailgate that they had the most super seniors out of everybody in college. I think Minnesota is bringing back literally every single starter outside of uh, Bateman on their offense from last year or and defense. So I think that is also going to help those teams as well. Yes, there's going to be teams like Alabama. One thing we've been talking about right, with the Blue Bloods, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. 
they lost a lot of those guys they've counted on the past couple of years. How much does that hurt them now going into the season? And that's why it's going to be interesting to see some of these blue blood versus G5 matchups. We got uh, San Diego State going up against USC or San Jose State, excuse me, going up against USC this weekend. We've got um, uh, uh, Louisiana going up against Texas, which I think could potentially be a very interesting game. You got Fresno State going up against Oregon. I mean, there are a lot of these matchups where, you know, you would think that these G5 schools got most or if not all of their players coming back and going against a, uh, a power five school. It's just going to be some really interesting matchups. Austin, what did you learn from this weekend? Yeah, I mean, I'll echo what Matt said. It's tough to take anything away. I mean, the only game that I thought there was two really evenly matched teams was that Nebraska-Illinois game, and we don't really care about anybody that was playing there, um, at least you know this this season. Um, I guess I learned that that maybe Fresno has some other weapons beyond Jalen Cropper, Ronnie Rivers. I think um, there there was a lot of talk. You know, I think um, just who who's the second wide receiver there was was a big discussion in our discord and, and some of the other uh, chat groups that I'm in all, all over the place here. Um, and, and this weekend kind of brought a bunch of different names to the, the forefront. We had Josh Kelly, wide receiver, three for 54. Uh, Eric Brooks went five for 61. Uh, Wheatfall himself, who we thought was going to have a big day. He, he went three for 19. Cropper still led the way. Rivers still had, you know, 58 yards rushing, 66 yards receiving. Uh, Hayner had over 300 yards passing. So it just... If they can consistently do that, I, I don't think they can beat Oregon this week. Oregon just has such a good defense uh, that, that'll really give them them problems. But I could see them rolling through a lot of the rest of that schedule if some of these other guys can can step up there and be the, the right-hand man to Cropper and uh, Rivers. Speaking of Oregon, for people who don't know, Kayvon Thibodeau is a potential number one overall pick, the defensive end, in next year's NFL draft. But they also add, I guess he's technically a redshirt freshman after tearing his ACL last year, in Justin Flo, a, a throwback linebacker who I guarantee you is going to get a targeting call at some point or multiple at some point in his career. He's somebody that picks up running backs and throws them on the ground and body slams them. He's like an Indomitian Sioux, but at the linebacker position, he plays with that sort of aggression. Will really make you enjoy football. He's someone that I cannot wait to see. I'm disappointed we didn't get to see him last year. We're going to get to see him this year, and he's someone who can break out. But in that game where we had evenly matched teams against uh, Illinois and, and Nebraska, all offseason, I had been kind of contemplating who is going to be the Nebraska wide receiver to own. Is it going to be Torre, the transfer from uh, – I forgot the school that he transferred Montana, from. Montana, I believe. Or, yes. Yeah. Very productive wide receiver there. Is it going to be Omar Manning, the, the JUCO wide receiver with all of the physical traits, or is it going to be the freshman that they had last year in Xavier Betts? The answer ends up being none of them at all. Because the key holder to that question was whether or not Adrian Martinez was going to develop. And you, after his freshman season, you thought, all right, this is a guy that has a who could potentially be something. He's played poorly since then, but you still kind of held out hope that maybe, just maybe, that this was the season that you saw something from Adrian Martinez. And then he just, I mean, he has a 75 yard touchdown run, but is just a complete dud. And you could tell early in that game that they were trying to make Adrian Martinez a drop back, spread it out passer, and he just he couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it, and so they had to revert to him being essentially a Tim Tebow-esque 
running quarterback back there. And so the answer for what wide receiver you want to own in Nebraska, is it Omar Manning? Is it Torre? Is it Xavier Betts? It's absolutely none of them. It's absolutely none of them. Uh, Betts returned uh, the first kickoff. He's their kick returner, but he wasn't even out there um, often. Neither was Manning, for that matter. It, Torre was the one who was being targeted often, but it didn't, that passing game is not something that you want to – uh, uh, put any eggs in. I still think that Xavier Betts is the most talented out of that group. I still think that Omar Manning, he's a six foot three, 220 pound wide receiver with four or five speed. He still has some talent, but I don't know that Adrian Martinez is going to be able to unlock any, any of those passing options. And for Austin, you've been talking about Gabe Urban. Gabe, Ur- Gabe Urban started this game over Morrison and uh but he's not he's not someone that you're going to be able to to put in the lineup so he's definitely definitely a stash at this point their line was poor too I mean they were just bad everywhere on offense they could they they did not run block particularly well they did not pass block particularly well Martinez had issues receivers had issues I mean that that whole offense might be one of the worst power five offenses this year uh, they're going to really rely on Martinez running Yeah, I've got a question for you guys because Scott Frost brought this up after the game and said that they had a whole game plan and then Illinois came out and lined up differently than they expected and it threw their whole game plan out the window. So, look, I'm with you on Adrian Martinez. He's definitely not the guy to carry this offense to the next level. He did have moments, but he continually showed that he's just not going to be the guy. But how much is this really on Scott Frost and not – the players, Betts, Torre, Martinez, Irvin. I, I mean, the fact that your coach is out here saying, I can't come up with adjustments to figure out what to to counteract what Illinois is doing to us, what we didn't expect. I kind of feel like that's more on Frost, who was this offensive-minded guru. I mean, let's be honest, when Nebraska hired him, he was the best option on the market. So it's not like they made a bad hire at the time. He was the best option. But how much does that change now? And is this more on him than that offense? Yeah, so I was listening to, I want to say it was the Late Kick podcast with Josh Payton. He was talking about Scott Frost and what, when how Scott Frost came from, what, UCF? Mm-hmm. Um, he was kept his recruiting pipeline in Florida and was recruiting Florida and bringing Florida kids to Nebraska, but like none of the kids that he recruited ended up playing or finishing their career or contributing to Florida. So he has a recruiting problem. It's probably doesn't matter now because you can't see him uh, holding his job after this year. But he's so, he's so lucky that the COVID happened last year because he never would have made it through this offseason. And he's really lucky that maybe he was just trying his luck after week one to say that. I, I would have fired his ass if I was at AD. There's no way I would have let that dude come back for a second game if he said that in a press conference after that first game. Like that is the most embarrassing comment. That's up there. Like Urban Myers admitted that they cut players because they weren't vaccinated yesterday, and that wasn't the stupidest yeah. thing a coach said this week. That's amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I almost tweeted to Scott Frost, make it to the bus. I almost tweeted that. Um, all right, we've got some st- storylines that we want to pay attention to here on the Debbie Debate, and and it starts with Demon Demas, uh, the highly touted five star and mercurial wide receiver out of Texas A&M. We saw the, in Austin, you can probably speak to the depth chart who, to who's actually starting there. Chase Lane, Aeneas Smith. Um, Caleb Chapman. 
Caleb Chad. Those, those are the three, I think. Yeah. <laughs> those are the three. Demond Demas, this guy who everyone said, hey, still hold on to him after his freshman year of him not playing, him, him, you know, trying to stand next to Jimbo Fisher on the sideline to get in the game. It at least if you look at on paper, he's not going to be a part of that Texas AM offense. Austin, what would you trade? What would you trade in a C2C league to acquire Demond Demas? Well, there's a lot of problems with this question, I think. And not, not the question itself, but like to, to work to a solution to this. Because my answer would be something just like ridiculously worthless. But the the person who is rostering him currently, like you can't sell him for that. You have to hope that he does something at some point down the line. He's got those crazy athletic gifts. We've seen him, you know, backflipping and jumping over guys and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. I I would not ever even approach somebody to ask for him straight up in a trade i think he's to the point now value wise where like he's a throw-in like you're like oh would you throw in demos to like you know and the, and the other person's like yeah fuck it like just get him off my bench i seriously think that's the point he's hit he's not starting there i mean i'm, I'm not saying like chase lane and caleb chapman are terrible but if you're you know this this great athlete this this talented guy you know borderline four or five star last year and you can't touch the field your second year there over either of them, that's that's pretty embarrassing on his part. I know coaches muff these decisions all the time, but I, I would I don't touch him anywhere. I, I would not. I was in a league where um, I think I had auto pick on, and I was sort, sorting through my queue, and it was the pick right before me. And I was sorting through my queue. I saw Damas in the play, available play, player pool, and so I added him there. I wanted to, you know, put him somewhere in there. I just put him at the top just so I could sort through it. The clock ends up coming to me with Damas on the top, and it takes him. And I was like, "Do I want to complain about this, or is it fine?" And I just started said, "It's fine." And and after like one round, I was like, "No, it's absolutely not fine." Because he would have not been my pick there. Uh, he has no value, and I think that the thing to take away from Demond Demas is to we should be scouting college players, high school prospects, the same way we scout players who are going to the NFL. If you are productive at the uh, college level, you could you have the potential to be productive at the NFL level. If you are productive at the high school level, you have the ability to be productive at the college level. DeMond DeMoss didn't play his senior season. Then, then face plants. Then face plants his first year. We, should, we shouldn't have taken that with a grain of salt. That should have been a big red flag. The same way Nikhil Harry face planted in his first year with New England, we should have taken that uh, as evidence of DeMond DeMoss simply not being a player that we want on our roster. So to the extent you can get something for him, I, I mean, you have to, uh, like you – I don't know that you can. I don't know that you can, but maybe you just wait. Would you rather have DeMonte Moss or Julian Fleming? Well, I would rather Julian, have Fleming. I would rather have, I'd rather have Fleming also, but I mean, it's close. I think I think Fleming Fleming is going to be part of their second wave, but so is I mean, you would think DeMoss is also going to be part of their the second wave there at Texas A&M. It's such a run-heavy offense, though. I don't know, Matt. I mean, you're going to say Fleming, like, but I mean, I, it's actually probably closer for me. Then I'm not going to give up on Demas just yet. He's just too much of an athletic freak. I mean, hey, 
I mean, you're 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 throwing out Julian Fleming like he's a for sure thing too. He's not. I mean, I I, I don't know. I'll take Demos just to be separate, but I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer with both those. Because if Demos breaks out this year, I, which may seem unlikely at this point, but if he goes out there and has a good season, you are not going to be having the same conversation next year. So. I think Fleming probably has the better chance because I do agree with Felix, and I've said that he's going to be running with the twos with Ohio State. I think they're going to have a better offense with C.J. Stroud, Ryan Day. But if DeMoss goes out there and has a couple big games and works his way into the starting lineup and has a massive season for Texas A&M, we're going to all be singing different tunes at this point in time next year. And I'm not going to rule that out just yet. All right. um, Let's move on here to Jalen Berger, who is – um, listed as second on the depth chart to Chaz is it Moose? He has like Chaz Malusi, baby. Malusi, Malusi. Is that that sounds like an Italian last name? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, and I could I could be completely wrong on that. But um, Austin, you weren't very high on on Jalen Ber- Jalen Berger. Anyway, I am. I think that he has an all around skill set. I think that he runs physically. I think that once we see him get comfortable um, in that offense that he's going to be very good, but what should, should we take away anything at all from, from Berger being listed as second on the depth chart? Um, no, he's actually one of the, like, I mean, I tweeted out a couple of days ago, people were freaking out on Monday about these college depth charts. And I was like, Oh, is this like, it's this first time going through this. Like this happens every year. And then by game two, a lot of this stuff shakes out you know a, a large percentage of it shakes out how we thought it would um uh, originally i'm not worried about burger because he's been injured all all preseason he's, he's had a leg injury he's barely been practicing um you know he so i did not but you don't like him, him as to, a prospect though you don't like him mm, as a prospect no he runs too upright uh, so I, I i i fade a little bit based on that i think it's it's the margin of error for guys that run like he does is so much smaller than those guys that can run with that really nice pad level um so and i'm not sure like like adrian martinez or yeah adrian um adrian peterson ran upright it didn't matter because he was such a freaking athlete like i don't burger's not on that plane as an athlete so the the, the margin for error really is not great there for him Few are, few are. Let me take a break from the show sheet just to say I'm so glad that college football is back because it was such a struggle to get through. I mean, we do this podcast every week. And to get through making content, you know, in August, in July, it's it's really hard. And now we have actually things to talk about. Speaking of which, Matt Bruning, Joe Milton, the Michigan transfer with the big arm, He's going to be the starter at Tennessee. And listen, I think you have to pay attention to someone that Josh Heupel is going to start because Josh Heupel's offenses are high-flying offenses. And Joe Milton, not accurate, but he can run and he has a big arm. Yeah, I mean, if you go back to – it would have been a little bit later than this last year. Um, I don't remember when Michigan had their first game. It was late in the year because Big Ten started late. But I distinctly remember having a discussion after they go out there and put that beating on Minnesota, and Felix turned to me and he said, Matt, Joe Milton, are you worried as a Buckeye fan? And I said yes because he looked amazing. If if Heibel can do that with him – I mean, look, let's just be honest. 
He's a hardball cast-off, so he's probably going to go out there this weekend and throw for five touchdowns, probably close to 400 yards. He's going to have a great game because Jim Harbaugh doesn't know how to coach. Do I think that he's going to turn it around and be like a high-end draft pick or anything like that? No, but I think he could go out there and produce for Tennessee. Why not? I, I expect them to hand the ball off more to Tank Bigsby than anything else. Not sure that I really love any of those wide receivers, but I'm I'm all in just because I want to – I want to see Jim Harbaugh fail again. That's really the only reason I want to see Milton go out there and have a good game. And, and you know, we saw Milton play well against Minnesota. Against Minnesota. Uh, Harrison Bailey, uh, Kevin, thank you, is, is obviously there. I, I Listen, both of these players had discounts. Harrison Bailey was severely discounted. But Joe Milton, I mean, you could have taken him really, really late in startup drafts. He has some um, – I've already forgotten his name, the quarterback from Wake Forest, Jamie Newman, who transferred to, to Georgia. He has some Jamie Newman to his game, and ha- and Jamie Newman is would have been a fantasy-relevant quarterback. So, you know, if you have Joe Milton on your team, you should consider starting him. That is a team that's going to throw the ball downfield, and Joe Milton is going to run. That's fantasy points. And so stock up for Joe Milton. Stock up for Joe Milton. And they play they play Bowling Green this week. Who a terrible team. Worked terrible last year. I will name drop here. The head coach at Bowling Green, Scott Leffler, used to be my quarterback's coach at Michigan when I would go to Michigan camp, then went to the, the Detroit Lions, but he was he was Lloyd Carr's quarterback coach. And I played, you know. My first three years I played quarterback uh, in high school. And so when I would go to Michigan camp, Scott Leffler was my head coach and now he's a terrible a terrible head coach at bowling at bowling green all right let's move on matt burning and you posted you talked about this a little bit on twitter i have mixed feelings about it the trent dilfer viral video for those who didn't see it uh trent dilfer really went ballistic on a player put his hands on a, on this player was yelling at him very aggressive pushing the player uh matt what were your thoughts about it um so I, I did not word it very well when I posted it on Twitter. I did not like the fact that he shoved. And we just lost Matt. And so that's why we keep going here on the Debbie debate. We are professionals. Um, listen, my, my thoughts are, I, I felt two ways about it. One, if that was my son, I would have an issue with it. But if it was, if it were me being coached, I would not have an issue with it. I never had a problem with 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 tough coaching. I actually liked tough coaching. Uh, I appreciated tough coaching. It got me inspired, and I just never took things particularly personally. Um, and so if that were me personally, I wouldn't have a problem with it. But if it were my child, I would probably a little bit perturbed. Uh, Austin, I mean, you played s- sports. How would you feel if, if you were coached as aggressively as uh, as Trent Dilfer was that evening? Yeah, I, I feel like I'm the least qualified of the three of us to talk about this because I do not have kids and I didn't play football growing up. So those are kind of two strikes against me here. I, I can't speak speak to it from either of those angles. Um, it would be really difficult to see a soccer coach get that pissed at, at somebody. Um, but I, I will say I thought, I, you know, I, 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 I don't think a coach should ever put their hands on a player. I, I did think the the narrative around the the pushing was a little overblown. I mean, he kind of just grabbed the pads and, and drove him back a few yards and told him to sit his ass down. 
I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's not like you grabbed them by the face mask and you, or, you know, it, it was really not egregious. But I think if you have to put your hands on somebody to teach a lesson, then you're probably not teaching the lesson that you think you are. Um, just, you know, in general. So um, <laughs> that, that, that sounds sort of like a do- it sounds like a domestic it. violence advocacy uh, commercial. Yes. Um, Matt Bruning. Uh, what what were your 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 back now? What were your thoughts on uh, the Dilfer yeah. viral video? So I just caught obviously the end of what Austin said there. I, I apologize. Learned I really need to learn to plug in my computer before we start these shows. Uh, I, but I agree with what he said. I, I said it on Twitter. I did not think it was that egregious. It's not as bad as everybody was making it out to be. Do I love that he? In essence, sort of shoved the player at the end of their altercation. No, I do not. But grabbing the pads and and yelling at a player, especially when we don't even know what precipitated that interaction. We don't know what was said, what was done by the player. I just don't think it was there. I've, and I'm not trying to say, okay, because I've seen worse, this makes it better, but I've seen 10 times worse than that. I don't think he did anything wrong. And all the people who've come out and said, well, he immediately apologized about it. If you actually go read Trent Dilfer's apology, he never once apologizes for laying hands on the player or grabbing the pads. He says, I apologize for not de-escalating the situation, but he never says, I apologize for putting my hand on his pads or anything because there was nothing wrong with it. Do you love to see it? No, but you're in one of the most highly competitive sports in, in not just America, in the world. Sometimes that's going to get the best of you. That situation could have gone 10 times worse than what it did had he not had any kind of a modicum of control. He could have ended up hitting that player if he wasn't in control somewhat. So I necessarily did not have an issue with it. Obviously, I understand people who do. Being a father myself, I'm sure that would not have been easy to watch had that been my kid. But we don't know the full story behind what happened. So, in essence, I really didn't have an issue with what I watched. And the one thing that needs to be said here about Trent Dilfer is – He's not yelling at that kid if that kid kid doesn't absolutely matter on that football team. And so it's, you know, you, coaches, quite frankly, they just don't get upset with players who don't have influence on the team, whose role isn't important. And so um, I think that that kid probably understood why he was being singled out or the importance of him being singled out. Is that why coaches never yelled at me growing up? Oh, shit. This I is mean, really late in life to find this well, out. I, I mean, you, you also played soccer. So, um, all right. Boys, we actually have content. We have games. So we have debates. Are you ready for the Debbie debates? So ready. I, no JSN. I boot, or, you know, talk this. Or no Quinn Ewers <laughs> talk. Yes, I'm so ready. Let's start with this one. True or false, Zach Charbonnet is a sell going six for 106 with three touchdowns this weekend. I don't have those stats on. T- I think that those, those were his stats. Yeah, Zach Charbonnet is a, is a sell. Awesome. Go ahead. Yeah, six for 106 and three touchdowns, I believe. Um, so, I, yes, I think he is if you can find someone because they play LSU this week. LSU did not have an, an, an outstanding rush defense last year. But if you watch that game this weekend, UCLA was just blowing that defensive line off the line of scrimmage like five yards back, like so quickly. Like it was not even really Charbonnet or because Britton Brown had a nice day too. Neither of them were really doing anything. Not, you know, Charbonnet didn't answer any questions that we have because the question is always, can he get to space himself? Right. It's always been the question with Zach Charbonnet. Yeah. And we didn't have to worry about it this week because that line either got him there or he was just running through dudes. He had that one long run where he just ran over like five people. I mean, that's what we that's what we expect from him. So I think that A, 
This week, he's obviously not going to do that, but I think he's not going to have a particularly good game. And then you look at the rest of their schedule, how it shakes out. Because the question is, you know, if I don't sell him this week and then he has a poor game, is there a chance for the uh, somewhat of a rebound there uh, to, to uh, rehabilitate that stock? And you look, they have after that, they have Fresno, Stanford, Arizona State, Arizona, Washington, Oregon. Like it's not the world's most difficult schedule, but I don't see another Hawaii there that he's just going to you know, just blast through wide open holes the whole game. So I think, yes, if you have Charbonnet anywhere, this is the week to sell him. But I also think if your league mates are savvy at all, they're really not paying the iron price for him. Austin says true. Matt Bruning, what say you? A hundred percent true. I'm pretty sure it's from the movie Trading Places where the dude's like, sell, sell, get rid of them as quick as you can. Austin talked about Hawaii. If you go back and look at it last year, they brought back almost their entire defense. They were 126 in rush defense last year. Only 128 teams played last year. They are horrible. Yeah, Zach Starbonnet is the perfect time. I agree with Austin. If you have savvy uh, league mates, they're probably not going to buy them. Guess what? We all have that one person in each league that is not savvy. Tie it up in a little bow. Throw in a Demond Moss, that beautiful little nugget that's the set that you can throw into trades that Austin talked about earlier and get a high end player. Do it today. There's a you know Zach Charbonnet had this one run where you know he kept his legs moving and, and tacklers are bouncing off of him, but they're not really bouncing off of him. It's just poor. There's a difference between, for example, Zach Charbonnet's run where he has tacklers kind of sliding off of him because they're not, and, and someone like Mayan Williams who thumps tacklers. It's just different. As a matter of fact, Jalen uh, Jalen Cropper had a long touchdown run where he thumped a tackler. That's just not – it's not the same burst, the same force that you see with Zach Charbonnet. This question is really directed to our friend of the show now, having met him at the Expo, Kane Fassell. Kane Fassell is still an advocate for Zach Charbonnet. If I had Zach Charbonnet, I would be trying to sell him now. I do not believe in him. He's not someone who's going to catch passes. He's not particularly athletic. He's a two-down thumper at most. There's like, there's like zero upside – for him, in my opinion, at the NFL level, I just don't see it, and I don't think that he is the type of running back that could have fantasy value without the receiving ability, like a uh, Nick Chubb or Derrick Henry. I don't think that he's that level of, of an athlete, and so if you are in a Debbie league, I'm not sure that he has any value once he gets to your fantasy teams. I don't. I think that he could be a third, fourth round pick, and then once he once he is, I don't know that he has that much value in a C two C league. I, I would absolutely be, be trying to get uh, what I could for Zach Charbonnet at this point in his career. All right. The one the one comment I will say about him, he looked leaner yeah. than he did last year. I thought just as soon as he stepped on the field, I was like, whoa, he 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 looks he looks better, like physically, just looking at him than he did last year. So that that is a good thing, I guess. Yeah. I will also say um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm proud of you, Felix, for not doing uh, not doing one uh, doing this to one of our teammates. You're throwing Kane under the bus there, so I'll do it. Colin Decker 100% in on Zach Charbonnet as well. So <laughs> Kane ain't the only one out there out there driving the hype train for, for Mr. Charbonnet. I think someone on that tailgate show said that he has no rule. He's nothing. He has no rule. <laughs> I don't remember who it was. Um was but, it was it an Austin Nace or a Chris no, Moxley? I don't yeah, remember. I, I don't remember which it. one. 
I don't know who said was it Chris Moxley? It was Moxley. Well, he, he, he fact checks us, so I don't want to say anything too bad about him here. But uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Let's and and Austin, I'm gonna throw this to you first so that I can respond. Oh god. Jay Kaner, there was a conversation in the Discord about Jay Kaner very early in the game about him being erratic, about him being inaccurate. Uh Austin Nace is Jake Hayner. Can he be a day two draft pick in the 2022 NFL draft? I think day two is going to be a stretch for him. I think early day three is probably more his range, and here is why. I don't think he played poorly on Saturday. He started off the game poorly, and I thought he came into his own you know, in the second quarter there. But his his like if you just go and look at that, that box score, they won, what, 45 nothing or something, I believe, over UConn. He threw two touchdowns very quick back to back that were just these long, like the cropper one. He did nothing. He did nothing on that play. He, he threw like this 20, this, this 15 yard, you know, across the middle to a wide open Jalen Cropper. There was nobody close to him. And then Cropper uh, bounces off the worst tackle attempt I've ever seen, spins out of four defenders, and is just gone. The Rivers one was a, was a better throw, a more impressive throw. But I think that throw looked more impressive than it should have because he just does like I think he has an NFL quality arm. But I, I say all the time, I've said it on this show, I say it on the C2C pod that Joe Burrow is my line uh, of an NFL quality throw. If you're if you're on if you're better than that, then I think you can do it. If you're worse than that, probably not. I think Hayner is right on that Burrow line, but the problem is that he has a lot less leeway because he's not as mobile as Burrow was. Burrow got away with a lot because he could really extend plays. He did it a lot in college. He did it a lot last year. I like is Hayner is Hayner a, a does he have a better arm than that? I, I'm not really sure. So that that's my big thing with him. And then lastly, he's this is his fifth year in college. I don't think teams are going to be extremely excited to get their hands on a guy that played G5 because he didn't cut it at Washington and, and is a fifth-year guy. So all, all of those things working against him, no. I don't think he he goes day two, but I think he can still hang around the NFL for a while. You know, it's not usually Austin that is the one who kind of gets my blood boiling and makes me really want to come. It's usually Matt Bruning. But Austin was in the campus uh, to Canton Discord, just hating on my guy, Jake Hayner. Jake Hayner was 20 for 26 in this game, and I went back and watched to look at his incompletions, his six incompletions. The first one was an incompletion of Jalen Cropper over the middle, and Cropper was in the slot. He had a choice to either sit it down in the middle or continue. Usually in zone, you sit it down, and, man, you continue over the middle. Cropper sat. Hayner threw, threw as if, if he was going to continue. The second pass was batted down. The third pass was a, a incompletion was a, a drop by Ronnie Rivers. The fourth was a drop by Josh Kelly over the middle, and I could, quite frankly, I couldn't find the, sixth and the, the fifth and the, and the sixth incompletion. He wasn't, in, he wasn't inaccurate. He – Made a poor decision on one, and then the other are are explainable. We don't give quarterbacks enough credit for simply hitting wide receivers in stride unless they're Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma. And, Austin, I heard you say this on the Campus Life. You guys need to listen to the Campus Life show because sometimes you know our show here is a continuation of Campus Life. You mentioned 
Jake Hayner's arm strength and his touchdown pass to Ronnie Rivers, which was a floater over the seam with a linebacker underneath, a safety to the side, and one safety over the top. Mentioned it was a floater because he didn't have the arm strength to put it in there. Just because a quarterback varies his throw velocity doesn't mean he has a weak arm. It doesn't. He floated it in there because that's what needed to be happening. That, that's what needed. To, that's the throw that needed to be made. And I tweeted that early after watching this game, subtweeting you, Mister Mister Nace, absolutely subtweeting you. When you talk about arm talent, it's not simply arm strength. It's the ability, the ability to throw from different platforms, different arm angles, from the pocket, showing the ability to throw in different situations. That's arm talent. And, and Jake Hayner has arm talent. He is a shortstop out there. And I will go as far as to say this. I don't care where he's drafted. I think he will be drafted on, Jay, on day two. But Jake Hayner is this class's Dak Prescott. He's this class's Russell Wilson. That's how I feel about it. Good Lord. I, uh, <laughs> um, the only throw that he made was that, was that, that, that impressed me was that one rolling to his left. That was a really nice throw. I don't think he had to float that pass to Rivers. Like the, those say that safety basically got there as the ball got there. He got very lucky. I think if he had driven that ball in a little more, would have made Rivers' job a lot easier uh, on the run after. I, I think he made that throw more, look more difficult than he needed to, personally. I'm not saying he has, I think he has an NFL quality arm. I, I I think he does. I'm just saying, does he is like the, the there's always that that mix of you know the the combination of of <clears throat> sorry mobility and and arm talent and does you know as one goes up you know you don't need the other one quite as much. Obviously, you know the best is if you have both of them. But I like I I don't know if his arm talent is high enough that the low level of mobility that he has like he's not keyed on Slovis. But he's not like I, I don't know. Like you, you I, said, I he's he's going to be like Teddy Bridge. Like he would be happy to have the career that Teddy Bridgewater has had, in my opinion. Yeah, and and it's not a it's not an apples to apples comparison because Teddy Bridgewater also a first round quarterback, and I'm not saying that Jay Kaner is going to be a first round quarterback. But there are things that Jay Kaner does, like throw the ball sidearm around a defender and hit someone in stride that we don't give him credit for, and those are throws that. It's a simple throw, and it looks simple. It looks like it's a five-yard or seven-yard completion, but it's just not a throw that, that someone else can make because they couldn't do the arm action that it takes to throw that ball around that defender, and that's what Jay Kaner can do. I heard, I think on the broadcast, I heard them compare him to Zach Wilson, and yes, because Zach Wilson, Matthew Stafford, these quarterbacks are now you know having their feet planted and making these shortstop-like throws. Yes, that's what they mean when they're comparing Jake Hayner to Zach Wilson is that he can make shortstop-like throws. I'm not saying that he's going to be a first-round quarterback. I'm saying, true story, when I saw Russell Wilson play against Michigan State the first time, because they played twice that year, once in the Big Ten Championship and once at uh, in East Lansing, I said, that guy is the number one pick in the draft. I told that to my friend Jason McNally. That guy is the number one pick in the draft. That, that was the year that Andrew Luck went number one, Robert Griffin went number two. I was, and then I didn't realize that Russell Wilson 
was only 5'11". I'm okay. And that was before Russell Wilson opened the door for other quarterbacks. Uh, that's, I said, that guy is the number one pick in the draft. Jake Hayner gives me those vibes. He gives me those vibes. He's just a very versatile player who's very talented. No, he's not. He doesn't have the best arm. He's not the tallest. That's the same thing we saw with Andy Dalton, uh, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson. Because they had these flaws in their game, they fell today too. So I ex- absolutely expect him to fall today too. But he is someone that I'm going to roster everywhere that I can in super flex leagues and things of that sort because I, I quite quite frankly, I think that his best football could be ahead of ahead of him. And we're gonna. I mean, he's got a good. Te- he's got a. He's got a ridiculous test coming up here and we're going to see matt burning you haven't spoken at all you've been very quiet there is there anything you want to I say mean, to weigh in here i lean more with austin just looking at the 2022 class i mean how realistically we keep talking about how weak we feel this class is overall right i mean really we think at the only two locks for sure to go in the first round are Hal and rattler so how many quarterbacks are you expecting to get drafted in day two because i'm going to read you some of the guys at the top of this 2022 class. Matt Corral, Carson Strong, Jaden Daniels, JT Daniels, Malik Willis, Keaton Slovis, Desmond Ritter, Phil Jerkovic, Dylan Gabriel, Graham Mertz, if he decides to come out, Taluia Tagovailoa, I don't know how to, I'm horrible saying his name, could also come out this year. Brock Purdy, Grant Gannell, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. All those guys can come out. There's a lot of guys on that list I think are going to get taken over Jake Hayner. I mean, probably not the last few guys I named, DTR, Grant Gannell, probably Tagovailoa. Well, my point is you're doing this, but if all those guys are going to get drafted, most of those guys are going to get drafted over Hayner, what are we going to see? 12 quarterbacks go in the first two, three rounds? No, it's not going to happen. So, no, I don't think he gets day two draft capital. Does he get drafted? Yes, absolutely. Okay, well, yep. Ru- Ru- the other big question, uh, the other big thing here, and I think you didn't really address it, Felix. And I'm all those names that you mentioned are those guys, you know, Russell Wilson, Andy Dalton, all the uh, Dak Prescott, they were all power five players. I think that matters a lot, both to the NFL, just straight up in terms of drafting it particularly for value, but also just there are things that you just like there's a there's a reason a lot of these guys are G five. And I know that does not that it that is not, you know, an and and fully encompassing rule, but I, I think there is definitely something to be said there for for especially quarterbacks that are not at that power five level. And we'll see. Zach Wilson could do it this year. We'll see. Um, I mean, he's an independent. He's not technically G five or whatever. But I mean, you you get what I'm saying there. So I think that is an interesting point that maybe we don't have enough info on the rest of the season yet to to say. I, I don't know. I will I will say this. You you all know that I like <laughs> shooting from half court. And to me, that's my shot with, with Jake that? Hayner. That, that's my that? shot. I like shooting from Damian Lillard tel- territory with prospects. That's what that's what Zach Wilson was. That's what Mayan Williams is. That's what I mean. Like I like picking those players early, and, and Jake Hayner is one of my guys. All right. Are we ready to move on here? Do we have imaging for this next uh, this next segment here? No, we're good. Believe- what, are, what, are, what are we doing? Is it Austin? It is Austin. And so, ahead, up. for for our for our newest listeners, when we first you wouldn't know it now, but when we first started this show, Austin would never talk. 
and we would have bold prediction segments and we would throw it to Austin and he would come up with the Lucas of lukewarm takes. And so Austin, we turn it over to you for your lukewarm take of the week. Yeah, you know, I, I'm a big C2C guy, obviously, with the C2C pod over at Campus to Canton. Uh, my 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 lukewarm take for the week, I think Cincinnati is going to be a good a good play this week. All of the guys on that team as they they welcome Miami there, Miami of Ohio into their backyard. Desmond Ritter, you know, Matt just mentioned him as potentially a first round quarterback and Jerome Ford, a guy that I've been a big fan of. Um, I think they're going to have nice days there. I think Cincinnati probably is going to win that game. And I think you should start both of those guys in your in any of your college fantasy leagues. That is my lukewarm take. What are you talking about? Oh, my God. This dude is just talking about lukewarm start Cincinnati over Miami. The sky's blue. Oh, my goodness. There's water in the ocean. exactly (laughs) what we would expect from from Guys, I think Bryce Young's going to be a decent quarterback this week. Oh, my goodness. I, I think I think DJ Stroud's gonna throw a touchdown. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! You know the show sheet didn't say Austin. give your take, and then we're all gonna be mean to you. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Oh, right. Is water uh, wet? I just you know I'm, I'm just curious. That's uh, that is <sighs> Austin Nace's lukewarm take of the week, and tune in next week for Austin's lukewarm take of the week. All right. Matt Burning, I, let, my, go, my challenge go. this year is to go 12 and 0 on my lukewarm take. <laughs> I think well, I can do it. You're, you're off to a great start there, but I'll, I'll give you that. You are uh, good. You're, you're good. off to a 1 and 0 start. I'll give you that one. I'm, I'm 100% sure of that. Uh, I really couldn't think of anything. I don't know if this is necessarily a hot take. I feel like we've actually well, talked well, about this uh, on the uh, show. Matt, we are, we are setting up hot. We are setting up our because Austin's takes are always lukewarm. We're going to do yeah. our scorching hot bold take. So your scor- scorching hot bold take. I think that USC is going to lose to San Jose State today, and it's going to be mostly because of Keaton Slovis leading to his benching in a couple of weeks. Uh, I know some people predicted that USC might lose. I'm going to go all out and say they will lose. I think they play Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. They will lose to San Jose State because of Keaton Slovis, and this will be the first peg in him losing his job to Dart. And let me go to my bold take. My bold take is JoJo Earl. So you saw Alabama's spring game and, you know, uh, a Jai Hall make these contested catches and everyone think, oh, it's going to be a Jai Hall. I have had JoJo Earl ranked in my top 10 since we've had rankings. Didn't go through a spring game. You see that he is listed as a co-starter with Slade Bolden. He's also going to be their punt return returner. I've got JoJo Earl returning a punt for a touchdown and going over 100 yard all-purpose yards and another touchdown in their opening game against the Miami Hurricanes. That's my bold take of the week. And, you know, and for our new listeners, my bold take to start the season last year was uh, we started we started when the Big Ten season started. My bold take was that Indiana, who hadn't beaten Penn State since like, since most people listening to this were born, I said that Indiana was going to beat Penn State, and you saw Michael Penix dive for that two point conversion and beat the Nindy line. So there, we'll see, we'll see with this next uh, bull take. All right, 
Anything else? Is there anything else before we close out the show? All right, that I, I, is I, going. I want to oh, get a. Ahead. I want to get a prediction out of everybody for this Georgia Clemson game. We didn't talk about That's this at all. Good. Georgia and Clemson play Week One is the probably the biggest well, game this weekend. What are you? What are you? Sorry, Matt. Go ahead. Well, me and you will talk about it Saturday. So, we will. but Felix we will. won't be there with us. But we can give our predictions here. I, I don't want to give too much away. So. Speaking of which, you need to be paying attention to the tailgate in the morning starting at 10 a.m. on Saturdays. We book end your Saturday, and then we tuck you in at night with Coast to Coast. Coast to Coast is going to start this week immediately after the Georgia-Clemson game. We're going to go live immediately after Georgia-Clemson, so tune in for both uh, the tailgate in the morning and Coast to Coast at night. We've got so much content going on on around here Um uh, with a, with a, a let me give my pick since I will not be on coast to coast. I am going to take Georgia. I know that they've lost Eric Gilbert. I know that they've lost George Pickens. I know that Jermaine Burton is injured. But quite frankly, I think that Georgia is a team that can if they just want to run the ball forty times and beat you up with Zamir White and James Cook and Dejon Edwards and, and and Kendall Milton. I think that they can do that. And then go play action the same way that UAB, UAB is on right is is on right now. That's UAB's game plan. They like to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and then go play action over the top. If they are healthy, uh, Georgia has those players that they can just play that way. They can just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and then go over the top with uh, uh, Arian Smith and with George and with with uh, Jermaine Burton, two of the fastest players in college football. Um, so I've got, I have got. Georgia winning this game. I think it's going to be a little bit lower scoring. I don't the thing is I don't know how Clemson's offense is going to play, but I've got it being a little bit lower scoring. We'll say 28-23. I'm going with Georgia. Well, before we get out of here, Felix, since you aren't able to join us on the tailgate, for again, you just mentioned it. Join us. My, my, myself and Austin will be there. We'll be picking a bunch of these games to end the segment. Uh, but this one, we will not get a chance to talk about. We'll get to recap it. I would love to hear if either one of you will pick Minnesota over Ohio State tomorrow night. It's probably the biggest game on tomorrow night. Either one of you picking Minnesota? God, I mean, I'm just proud. I don't know if I'm picking them, but I'm praying to the Lord. Like, I know who you please, are, trust me. I know please, you're just like, selling please. your soul. To get that one, let Ryan Day, let Ryan Day fail. We'll need to record like a podcast if they in fact lose. No, this is you and me, Felix. Matt will not be there. I'll be busy. I'll be busy. <laughs> I'm remember, remember, busy. What game was it that Matt had of himself on Twitter with his old translucent chest? Uh, uh, that yeah. was the Clemson game when we beat that ass, baby, in the playoffs. That's that game. I, I purposely like a, stayed off Twitter for the Alabama game because I knew. Look, looking like a straight ghost. Looking like a straight uh, ghost. Penn All State, right. Wisconsin, Felix. Who are you taking? I am taking um, – I'm taking – is that at Wisconsin? Is it at Wisconsin? Yes, it is at Wisconsin. I, I think it is at Wisconsin. I Listen, I, I'm very high on Graham Mertz. I think that he's a good decision maker. I think that he can attack attack vertically if necessary. I think he's a very versatile drop-back passer. He can make different kinds of throws. I think he's going to have a back, bounce-back season after you know having a great first game last year and then really playing terribly after contracting COVID. So I'm going to go with uh, Wisconsin. All right, two more. One of them we will talk about, so I won't ask Austin's, but the last one, Austin, we won't talk about, so I want to get your prediction as well. You are one of the biggest proponents of Indiana, Felix, so Indiana, Iowa, who are you picking? It's a tough game, and we have, and Michael Penix is going to be back. They've got um, Stephen Carr in the backfield. They've got Miles Marshall and 
and uh, Ty Freifogel there at wide receiver. You know, I don't know without Amir Smith-Marset that Iowa can put up um, the points that they would need to to beat Indiana because Indiana should be a very good offensive football team, very good offensive football team, and so I'm taking Indiana in that one. I really like this. We didn't prepare for this. I really I really like doing this, and we're picking my picks right now because Austin and Matt yeah. will make their picks on the tailgate, so tune into the tailgate 10 a.m. on Saturday. Tune in into the tailgate 10 a.m. on Saturday. Last last one that we will not be talking about the tail or about this game on the tailgate. So Austin, I do want to get your pick on this as well. We talked a little bit about it, but I do think it's a very intriguing game. LSU going to UCLA, playing in the Rose Bowl. You've got everything that's going on at home for a lot of these players with with the, the recent hurricane that's kind of devastated, unfortunately, Louisiana. Having to go to UCLA, we heard Kevin Coleman talk about it on Coast to Coast last week. They're still dealing with the wildfires out there. The air quality is not that great. Either one of you picking UCLA to upset LSU? I don't think so. I mean, I know that UCLA is coming off their big win against the defense of Hawaii, and their their defensive line probably doesn't have a player over 300 pounds. Um, but LSU can score. I mean, LSU, we saw LSU, you know, we saw Kayshawn Boutte go over 230 yards last season. And, uh, and quite, and even in the spring game, we saw him have what twelve catches for over two hundred yards. Um, but I, I just I think that Max Johnson is going to lay his claim to being one of the quarterbacks that should be considered as one of the top quarterbacks in the twenty twenty three class um, uh, against here against against UCLA. I know that it's it, that it's it's at the Rose Bowl. I know it's at the Rose Bowl. But um, I think that LSU is going to be too much for for the Bruins, even though the game is in Pasadena. Austin? Yeah, I actually put some money on this game. I picked LSU to cover three and a half. I think they'll win by at least a touchdown. I mean, what UCLA did last last week was they, they just dominated the trenches. And I don't know, you know, I'm not saying that LSU is, has an amazing line on either side of the ball but they're not going to be pushed around like their high school kids out there, which is basically what happened last weekend. So I think that neutralizes because DTR was, we didn't talk about this was 10 for 20 was missing guys high all over the place. He looked worse than Adrian Martinez to passer. It was very difficult to believe. Um, I don't, that, that team is going to go as far as they can run the ball. And so I don't think they're really going to be able to, to overwhelm LSU with that. So yeah, LSU wins. All right, Chris Moxley, get in here. How'd we do? We did good. We're excellent. All right. Everything's good. So everything's good. No need for corrections tonight. Check out all of the content around the campus to Canton.com family. We, we're doing so much stuff that I really, quite frankly, can't even. Oh, wait, there is Chris Moxley. Chris, Chris Moxley, did you have any? Um, I thought we were good. Do we have any corrections for, for tonight? Oh, well, I did I did say you, you were good, but the advanced stats do not like Jake Hayner at all. I'm just going to throw that out there. The fancy numbers are not feel free to elaborate. Feel free to elaborate. Now that's because the fancy numbers really, prefer, really prefer age adjusted production. And I'm assuming not for quarterback, it doesn't matter. Not for, not for quarterback. So he had negative 28 expected points added. Take it away. Somebody cut his microphone off. Stacks last year. He takes his microphone off. Sacks. 
Sorry, sorry. Yeah, the button's not working. Sorry, the button's not working. I can't. I can't mute him. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> Go ahead, Moxley. Continue. Oh. So there's that, and then the majority of his EPA production happens on passes that are short and behind the line of scrimmage, i.e., that pass to Cropper that he took like 80, 80 yards after Eight, a six. seven yeah. yard Hainer throw. That is who Jake Hainer is. That's always been who Jake Hainer is. There is a reason that the numbers do not like Jake Hayner, and it is not a bias, although I didn't think that his first quarter was good because his first quarter actually was worse than Zach Zach Zergiotis' entire game. He had a great second quarter, but his first quarter was from an EPA perspective. UConn's quarterback. Oh, UConn's quarterback. Chris Moxley, tell us what EPA is. What is EPA? So it's expected points added and it can be cumulative or per play. So it takes into like a whole, it's basically takes into an average of like what you, what X should happen at like in Y situation. It's it's a complicated formula, but the idea is that it's one of the better ways to judge, uh, especially quarterback production. It says, okay, how many points per pass did this, this player expect to add? So if a, a good, a really, really, really good game, which Hayner had on Sunday was 16 points, expected points added just from Jake Hayner. So that's a very solid game, and it isolates all the scenarios and isolates each player and what what the expected outcome is, and that says, based on what this player did on this play, here's what happened. And so it is one of the best quarterback metrics, and Hayner performs, performs poorly there. So I just wanted to give you a little cold shower. And here we are taking Chris Moxley's words with a grain of salt tonight. That is going to be our show. Apologies to Kirk. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreit. We ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. For Matt Burning and Austin Nace, and for Chris Moxley, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25, and Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State national champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown, touchdown Alabama, Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama. And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years. Their 17th overall. And for Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks at the end zone. Hunter up the cut it. Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro. And Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill, just in front of his end zone, has a man out there. It is Ranger, and he's off to the races. Nobody will catch him. Freshman. Made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry. He'll add to that. 
Goodbye, touchdown Ohio State. From 52 yards.